0: Good afternoon again, everyone. Great to see everybody and to be together once more. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a great joy for me to have my brother visiting with me and... Uh, He travels the world over, so a visit to Florida is kind of rare, right? I mean, I don't know when the last time he was here, so it's a real joy to have him here. And I also have uh, two sisters. One of them lives in West Virginia, and one of them happens to live in a city called Philadelphia. And I want to talk about Philadelphia this morning. Brotherly love. Because although I have my, what do you call them, my real brother, my natural brother visiting me, I also have my brothers and sisters here that I'm always with. And we have this special word in Scripture called brotherly love or brotherly affection. And it's a beautiful word. I think it's a challenging word. And so I wanted to spend a little time returning to a series of messages in 2 Peter chapter 1. And so I'll just spend a little time refreshing our memory of these seven qualities that Peter brings out, that we're to add to our faith, to supplement our faith with. Because um, it concludes, this list concludes on love. So let's just look at it one more time. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 5 through 11 to give ourselves a sense of the context for these verses. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, Therefore brothers be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities you will never fall so, sorry never fail for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and so we have uh, in past weeks and months patiently walked through these seven qualities, the first five. And we've talked about this idea of making every effort to add them. And uh, if you remember when we studied Second Peter in our, our Bible study at night on Thursdays, I was struck by the uh, that idea of making every effort. What effort am I making to add these things to my life, to bring them out? And we talked about how as believers we've been told so many times don't be a legalist that sometimes we hesitate to even talk about trying hard in our faith or be disciplined because we're afraid we're going to slip over into legalism. We know that legalism is the idea that if I do try hard and if I do well, God will like me more. But we try hard because God likes us so much. And so our works... Come as a, almost like out of the wellspring of our faith. And that's why it says, add to your faith these seven things. But once we can get over that hump and say, okay, I'm not gonna go down the legalist path. I'm not gonna go, uh, try to be a good person as the Pharisees did so that God will be on my side. I'm gonna realize that God purchased me through the work of the whole uh uh through the work of his son the lord jesus and i'm clothed in his righteousness divine and i have all things for life and for godliness as it says here but from that point i'm going to move forward with the passion as peter says in his first letter to be holy as he is holy and so how can i make every effort to add these things that's really the the desire behind this series of messages When I get to this one, however, I stumble a little bit. So let's talk a little bit first about what is this brotherly affection that he is talking about. And what is the difference between brotherly love and love? They must be different because we're not going to get to love until the next message. That's the last one. So it says here, add brotherly affection or brotherly kindness some of your versions might say or brotherly love but then also you got this other thing called love so on the one hand you have Philadelphia and on the other hand you have agape and they're very different they have similarities but they're two different words for us two different blessed attributes of the Christian life and if I'm going to talk about the difference, it might be helpful to look at just a couple places where we have this. One of them comes in John 11. And then I'll just mention the one in John 21 because it's a familiar one to us and we talk about it a lot. So as you turn into John 11, do you remember when the Lord Jesus is talking to Peter after he's denied him and he's fallen and he sees us the Lord and he dives in and he swims to the shore to see the resurrected Lord. And the Lord asks him three times, Do you agape me? And the first or he asks him first, Do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I Phileo you. Lord you know I have affection for you. And then he asks again, Peter, do you agape me? And he said, Lord, you know I Phileo you. And then the third time Jesus changes his question and says, Peter, do you phileo me? And then Peter is broken because he realizes he has not lived up to that agape. And he says, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. So there's a difference between these two things. And so when he when he asked Peter, do you love me with this agape love, Peter could only say, Lord, you know that I love you with this phileo love. And look at in John 11... We have the word coming up again, and sometimes this is a problem with English, you know. Um, we don't have these different words for love, so sometimes we can get tripped up as we're reading. And in John 11, um, verse 3, I believe, we know the sisters of Lazarus send a message to him and said, Lord, the one you love is sick, right? Phileo. They appeal to. This phileo love. And then it says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and that's agape. It's different. <laughs> so we may think, well, what's the difference? Well, I think there's a difference. They appeal, Lord, the one you love is sick. Phileo. It says, He loved them, agape. And then one more time in verse 34, if you remember that Jesus wept, Actually, verse 35, and then in verse 36, the Jews said, See how he loved him, phileo. So, the two words, if I was going to talk about the difference between these two kinds of love, I would say that the phileo love is an emotional, almost like a a love that comes from within, that's almost out of your control, a natural affection, towards someone. The kind of thing that would make you cry at their funeral. And when you talk about... So, uh, theologians or people who study these kinds of things, um, linguists would say that phileo is experience-based love. Agape is decision-based love. And agape becomes that thing where you choose to lay down your life for someone. It's a decision-based love. It's the kind of love that, um, uh, when uh, some, when you see that person in need, you give them what they need. It doesn't. It's not the kind of love where you see the person in need and you start crying. You have this emotional response. Although there are some overlaps between these two kinds of love in Scripture. For, the, for our purposes today, let's keep those kind of separate. On the side of phileo, it's a natural affection that kind of wells up in your heart when you see somebody. Your face lights up. When you see them going through suffering, you suffer with them. You cry with them. Agape, on the other hand, is a servant love. It's a dying love. It's the kind of love you give your enemies. You know, when you see your enemy and he slaps you in the face, or when better, when he takes your coat, your heart doesn't well with affection. You're like, oh, my enemy. But no, you give him your cloak also. That's agape love. It's decision-based, sacrificial giving of oneself. And this is the reason why I find it a little bit troubling as we talk about making every effort to add it. Can I... Can you help who you love to see and love to be around? Can you change that? In other words, you like some people more than others. When certain people come into the room, you're like, I can't believe it. I I love you. I can't believe it. And it just, something happens to you naturally. When other people come in the room, you're like, here he comes again. And you have you have none of that, if there's an emotion, it might be like anger or something, but you don't have that warmth coming over your heart. You know, and I and I can say like for my brother, for example, you know, I see him pull up in the driveway, and I got that heart thing going. My brother is here. Wow, you know, I, I can't believe it. So I have not every brother is like that. You, you, some of you may have a brother that you don't really have that natural affection for. So the metaphor isn't perfect. But when in Scripture we see the word phileo joined to adelphos to get Philadelphia right, it's talking about that natural friendship, affection, love that one has for a brother. It's a beautiful word, it's a wonderful word, but sometimes it feels like, am I in control of that? How can I add an emotion? It's beyond my control. Take a look at Thessalonians for one more time that the word is used. First Thessalonians 4, verse 9. And this is another interesting place where you get both words in the same verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, there's our word there, concerning Philadelphia, you have no need for anyone to write to you. But then it goes on to say, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, agape. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, etc. There you have the two words there. It's almost like he's saying, when it comes to Philadelphia, that brotherly affection, you don't need anyone to write you because you have that. But love one another, agape, more and more. Lay down your lives for the brothers. So, to flip back to our Peter passage, if we indeed feel the sense of urgency that he has when he says, make every effort, giving all diligence, and when he says in verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, to make your calling and election sure. If we feel a sense of urgency that I need to add this to my faith, when we get to Philadelphia, we should feel a sense of, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if I can do that. We've talked about how can I how can I be diligent to add knowledge in a way that glorifies God? How can I be diligent to add patience, right, in a way that glorifies God? How can I be diligent to add um, excellence or virtue in my life? And there are ways, and there are practical things. But can we really do anything to increase our brotherly affection? I have been in churches before where I didn't feel a lot of Philadelphia for the brothers and sisters there. And I think I've heard it almost from everyone that attends this meeting, that we share a beautiful sense of love for each other. And i I I felt that ever since I started coming here, although it's increased in recent years. And I've been in churches where, either because I I felt anonymous and no one really knew me, so how do you love somebody you don't even know, or where I could feel there was a lot of tension, there wasn't that kind of sense of affection But thank God, we do have brotherly love for each other, but we need to add it. So the question is, how can I be diligent to add brotherly affection? So the word itself comes from womb, from the womb. delphos, Delphos is a womb. So it's the natural affection you have for someone for your own womb. And this takes me to the story of Joseph. So before getting into maybe some practical applications, and maybe I want you to worry a little bit first. (laughs) I want you to feel the necessity of, you know, this is kind of bothering me because I really don't like certain people. And I don't have that natural quickening of love. How can I help it? But I think God has given us a way. And I think He has called us to grow in brotherly love for each other. He says in Romans, love one another with brotherly affection. It's a command. He's commanding an emotion. He's commanding you to feel an emotion toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, He never commands something without giving us a way out. So, let's just look at Joseph. You know, in each of these messages, we look at Joseph as an example of this. But when we see Joseph in Genesis chapter... um, just for the sake of time, let's look at Genesis 43. You know, Joseph is an amazing story to think about brotherhood and to think about brotherly love. I think you could spend an hour just looking at the story of Joseph and his brothers as a practical lesson in applying and growing in brotherly love. But the one part I want to look at is the part in the story where Joseph's brothers come to him, and they they are in need, right? They don't know, we know the story very well. They don't know that he's Joseph, but he does. Let's just look at a few verses together. Look at chapter 43. Well, just because I don't have time to read the whole story. So, we know that they come... And they say, uh, we are sons of, we're 12 brothers, all sons of the same man, sons of the same father. One of them is at home, one of them is no more. They didn't say exactly what happened to him. So he says, to prove that you're not spies, I want you to go back and get the other brother to prove that you're telling the truth. Okay. Isn't that interesting sons of one man but you know they're not sons of one woman are they In other words they don't come from the same womb but they're sons of the same man <clears throat> But for Joseph there's one brother that is from the same womb all right so he is a the kind of adelphos that we have in Greek in the New Testament and so he says bring him to me bring this brother to me and so you know the story they go back they're not going to do it finally they need food again so Jacob says go back and tell that man you know we need we need more food and they said no we we have to uh we can't go there without without Benjamin but Jacob doesn't want to send him but he knows there's no way that he can get out of it so I want to, I want you to look at verse 26 You know, they come and he gets the money and then Joseph puts the, uh, the money back in their sacks or they, uh, he puts the silver cup in Benjamin's sack and there's, there's great grief. But I was really touched by this in verse 26. Joseph came when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down on the ground. He inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, his mother's son, right? And said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. And then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, and they by themselves, and it says in verse 34, Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank, and they were married with him. And, you know, it's almost like he couldn't help himself. This is a man who, he was trying to conceal his identity here, he was trying to kind of... But, but he was overwhelmed with emotion when he saw the son of the womb, Benjamin, his true brother, And the other brothers, he was able to kind of keep a little bit of distance there. But this one, he was overcome with emotion. And I want us to think, brothers and sisters, how can we get to that point where we are overcome with emotion? Why does God care? Why does He want brotherly affection to grow in the church? Because He wants it to be impossible for somebody to be suffering and going through trouble without our hearts being moved. He doesn't want us to just be obligated to someone. He wants almost our emotions and everything to come to our service to help that brother or sister that is in need. And so I think that um, when, we, when we see this example of Joseph, there's nothing that he could do. He couldn't help who he loved more. But he loved Benjamin more. He shared that fellowship. So let's think about ourselves for a second. How can we grow in brotherly love? So I want to start with thinking about my relationship with my own brother. What makes me love him so much, maybe more than just a natural friend or somebody that I spend time with? Three things. okay? Shared time. Shared training and shared trouble. Okay. So three things really come to shape and develop this emotion. We shared a lot of time together, right? We grew up in the same house. We went through a lot of the same things. We were just around each other a lot. If we don't spend time with each other as believers, we will not grow in brotherly affection to the extent that we could. If we only see each other once a week for an hour, pat each other on the back, how you doing? Or once a month, some of us. We aren't going to grow like we can if we spend more time together. But it takes a lot of discipline because everybody's busy, right? The second one is shared training. So he and I have the same parents. We endured discipline together as brothers. When it was time to learn how to do Chores, we learned together. They weren't like, I'm just gonna discipline Jake. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna train Luke this week. No, we endured that training together. If my parents were in a bad mood, we both got that bad mood together. If they were doing a good job as parents, we both got that together. So we got trained together as brothers. And that training drew us closer together because we shared it. In other words, we, we were both told to say, you're sorry the same amount of times. So in other words, we could go back to that common training and knit knit our hearts together as brothers. And so this can be true of us. Are we trained together? When do we get trained? I think one of the times is as we study the Word together. Times like this. To be trained together. to to, To attend conferences together. To be trained together in the Word. We share the same instruction book. We share the same training. And that causes us to feel close as brothers and as sisters. right? And the other one is shared trouble. We went through troubles together. And it comes in a couple different ways. We fought each other. Right? We had trouble with each other. But also, we endured trouble together. Right? If we, uh, if there's a sickness in the house, you're going to get it. Right? So we're sick together. We're um, If there's not enough money one year, we all feel it in that same house. How much do we share our troubles with each other in this meeting? When you share your troubles with your brethren, it brings you together. You know, when we have conflict in this meeting, if we hold together during that conflict, It strengthens our love for each other. We know that, right? I mean, we've seen that happen. When we fight together, if we feel there's a common fight, then it draws ourselves together. So, as I close, I want to think about two other situations where you have shared time, shared training, and shared trouble. The military and prison. In the one situation, in the military, and I'm sure Jake could tell you more about that than me. I've never actually served in the military. But there is a great closeness that grows to where you start to call the guys in your, what do you call it? Platoon. Platoon. You start to feel like they're your brothers. Isn't that true? I'm not making it up. (laughs) He says that sometimes. He felt like they're my brothers. Jail, however, I have seen not a lot of Philadelphia. There's not a lot of this feeling, these are my brothers. But both situations, they're sharing time together, they're sharing training, and they're sharing trouble. What's the difference? Because you can have some churches where the relationships are a lot like that infantry unit or that platoon where there's this close bond of family love developing. You can have other churches which are a little more like the jail. Where there's a sense like, that's my bread. Get away from me. (laughs) And there's this like animosity even growing. So what can be the difference? Think about it. Think about it. I think the main difference is, there's a couple differences. One of them is, if you were to ask anyone in that platoon, say they're fighting out somewhere in Afghanistan or something, you came out and you interviewed each one, why are you here? All of the answers would be similar. We have a shared goal. We have a shared commander. We have a shared sense of purpose. We're here for the same reason. The same person sent us here. We're in it together. Wouldn't they? They they would say that. One reason I'm here is because my, my commander told me to be here. My captain told me to be here, so I just go where he tells me to go. So that's a shared commander. I could say I'm here because I'm fighting for the freedom of the people of the United States. A shared sense of purpose. A shared goal. But whatever it is, it's going to be something they share. They're in it together. Think about the guy in jail. You come to the person in jail and say, why are you here? Everybody's going to have a different reason. Well, the government's against me. I was caught red-handed. I stole a hundred bucks from somebody. I smoke a lot of uh, marijuana. Everyone's got their own reason. Think about their goals. When are you going to get out of here? How are you going to get out of here? You ask the platoon, every person's going to say, When the battle's over, we're going home. And we're all going together. It's not going to be like, I'll see you later. You know, one guy goes home, he's like, I think I'm going to stay for a while. I've got my own battles to fight. That's not how it works. It's a shared sense of purpose, a shared goal. And they all go home together. In jail, some guy's here one day, gone the next. Some guy's court date comes through, he's gone. Another guy stays there months and months. In the church, we need to do all that we can to cultivate the platoon mentality and to shy away from the jail mentality. How? We need to get rid of the individualistic strain of thought that comes to our mind. I'm not in it by myself. There is no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. If I'm going through some kind of trouble, I need all my brothers and sisters to go through with it together. I'm not just here for, I'm not doing time. Think about a guy in jail. I'm doing my time, you're doing yours. You do your time alone in jail. But in a platoon, you're doing it together. We're doing this six month stint together. And I think that if we, It's a mental thing, but I think that it can require a certain amount of discipline. To take each of those things, the time we spend together, the training that we receive, and even the trouble that we endure, and to view it as this is something that we are doing together, I think it can grow our Philadelphia for each other. That brotherly love, that heartwarming sensation that you get, when so and so comes back and you haven't seen him for a couple of weeks let's not just throw up our hands and say well i just love who i love i can't help it the believer doesn't have that luxury or that crime it's it's really a shame if people do that throwing up their hands and saying well i love who i love we can grow in our affection not just the sacrificial stuff we'll get to that eventually but even our affection for each other we can grow if we will keep those two metaphors in mind the platoon and the jail, to strive for the one, feel a shared sense of purpose, a shared goal, and to shy away from the other, feeling like I'm in it myself. I'm in it on my own. I've got to take care of myself. I think that God can really grow these things in our personal experience and in our our church and even more broadly as He sees fit. Amen. Amen.